my name is Meryl Asp. Um, I'm just starting the fourth year of graduate school in the physics PhD program here at Syracuse University. Well, my name is Ohana Rodriguez. I am uh, also starting my fourth year physics PhD. I started with Mero too. So we've been colleagues for three years already now. I know, geez. <laughs> we worked on a lot that? of stuff together. Yeah. That is pretty crazy, honestly. It's also pretty great. I think so. Um, and we've gotten to know each other pretty well. But at, yeah, at this point in our program, I think it's a good time to look back and think about what kinds of things that we've learned about what graduate school is. Because I, I can definitely say for myself that I knew that I wanted to do graduate school. I knew that I wanted to learn physics more deeply, and I knew that I wanted to learn how to teach, but I really didn't know what graduate school actually was going to be. It's funny you, know, I just knew you that say it was that, that I wanted. because for me, it was kind of like so different from that, actually. Like I knew when I was in the beginning of my high school that I wanted to study physics, but I had no idea mm -hmm. how a physics career was. I had no idea. Ah. I had no idea that I would have to do a master's and then like a PhD to actually be able to be a physicist. So I actually went to college not knowing. And on my first semester, everybody was already talking about like PhD and was like, what? <laughs> Why, why is this a thing? Yeah, honestly, that's interesting. Because when I was, yeah, when I was in my undergrad, that's definitely the time when I found out that graduate school was a thing. Yeah, because when you're, when you're picking your major in undergrad, you're just like, okay, what am I interested in? And then you're not necessarily thinking about the full picture. But it was, it was definitely in my undergrad that I realized I wanted to teach, like I wanted to be a professor. Basically, my research advisor, he got to work on all these cool projects and he had like a bunch of minions working under him. <laughs> <laughs> of which I was one of the minions. And we oh, just I got see. to work you together to have and solve your own minions. problems. I do, I do <laughs> want to have my own minions. That's exactly what I want. Because oh, I, I think I about see. too many things. I can't, I can't do it all by myself. Yeah, so yeah, I wanted to teach and I wanted to have minions, research minions, to solve my interesting problems for me. So that's when I thought, okay, what do you need to do to become a professor? And graduate school is absolutely step one after you've got your bachelor's degree. I don't know. So I, it, I knew that it was a step on the path to what I eventually wanted. But again, yeah, I didn't find that out until my undergrad. So I knew it was necessary, but I didn't know exactly what it was going to be like. No, I had, I had no idea. I actually like, I, I feel my academic life was a sequence of accidents that somehow brought me here. Um, I didn't know I would have to do grad school. I just knew I wanted to study physics. So I went to my undergrad. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of it, somebody told me, hey, you're going to have to do grad school. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll talk, I'll, I'll think about it later. But then uh, mm -hmm. I ended up having that, like one day my advisor stopped at my office and said, hey, mm -hmm. do we want to go to United States to do neutrino research? I was like, yeah, sure. And then I got an internship at Fermilab and spent like six months a year. And ended up like yeah, neutrino physics, um, and then I came back to Brazil, and then I was dating Stefano, and I decided to apply mm -hmm. to do my masters where he was, and mm -hmm. I went there to do my masters, and then in my mind, I, I wasn't sure where I was going to do my PhD. Yeah, I came to Fermi Labs to spend three months doing my masters, and while I was here, my boss asked me why don't you do your PhD here in the US and I had this idea before but I had, had forgot about it and yeah. then I was you like yeah, I should. The plan. 
And she was like, well, if you're going to do that, you're kind of already late for applying for grad school. And then like- I know, how many times has that happened? We're like, oh, you need uh, this money? You need to do this thing? Cool, you should have applied for three months ago. Yeah, no, so you have an idea. The next day, I think it was the last day I could register for my physics GRE exam that was going to be the last one before- Oh, geez, yeah. Um, and the same week I did like the general GRE, like the same week. I didn't prepare Yikes. at all. Yeah, yeah, you just did it. Just did it. And the, the oh, general GRE wasn't even that bad. The physics was awful. But anyway. That was more or less my experience. But, but, but the physics one was even worse for me because, well, of course I was unprepared. Like nobody prepares you for that exam. That exam was awful in so many ways. Um, but yeah, also, I got to figure it out. somebody tried to rob my car right before the exam. Oh, yeah. Um, you told me that. That's the worst thing ever. And it was like, because I had to travel for, to take the exam, and then we decided to stay in the hotel. And then at like 4 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., somebody called and said, hey, uh, somebody broke your car window trying to rob. Uh, and and that was like, all going on anymore. all the same time. But it's over. Uh, I still managed to get in grad school. I know, you did everything. But yeah, that that honestly reminds me a lot of... Because now we're a little bit on the other side of it. Um, When you were thinking about going to graduate school or what your plan was, like your advisor just kind of out of the blue said, hey, you should work on this. Like you should be involved in neutrino physics and like gifted you this opportunity, this like path that you didn't even know existed. And we're at the point right now where we're acquiring what we need to give opportunities to other people. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I've had the chance to start working with a couple of undergraduates. And those relationships also start, yeah, with, with this one in particular, Isa, who I work with, was one of the coaches for Physics 211. And she just showed up a little early to one of our weekly meetings and she was like, hey, can you help me with uh, special relativity? Because I was the only TA in the room and she was the only coach in the room. We would both come a little bit early. So like, yeah, that, that would be great. So um, I picked a time to meet up with her in the physics clinic to talk about special relativity. And then that just got us talking. She asked about my research and she expressed an interest in working in soft matter. So then at that point, um, I was like, oh, cool. My advisor is looking for undergraduates to work with us. So it was on me to recognize a person. Hey, this is a person that we can involve in our lab. Like there's maybe one or two spots and they're magically going to end up in the hands of whoever is in the right place at the right time. I don't know. So it's weird how much of, at least in this point, research work, graduate work, but probably the rest of our professional lives is going to depend on us giving opportunities to other people and also just being in the right place at the right time and i think we should acknowledge that that is normal yeah no that's totally normal i never thought about being a mentor so far i still see myself as to research immature to actually help others you know like i'm like i am i feel the same way but yeah, I am like a baby scientist. Like, I'm not even able to actually do science by myself yet. But, but that's the crazy uh, thing, because everything is relative, though. Anyway, sorry. 
Yeah. No, no, no. But at the same time, yeah, like I, I've been in school for now yeah, how many 10 years? years. I know. So I guess this is worth something, right? <laughs> yeah, somewhere within those 10 years of experience, you have something worth passing on to the next academic generation. I know. Well, that, and that's the funny thing about working with an undergrad. It's like you said, we, we feel like we're baby scientists because we're always at the point where we're doing things that we've never done before. But when you're working with undergrads, it's usually in the context of a specific project. Like with me and Isa, I'm teaching her Python, how to program in Python so that she can do some image analysis and turn our videos of bacteria growth into actual quantitative data. So when we're focused on something specific, I feel like, okay, I understand this thing so I can introduce it to another person and I can teach the Python skills that I've acquired over, I don't even know how many years. How many years have I been writing in Python? Like five years? I still don't know Python. There, there are still things that were... I, I only use okay. C++. I know, that's better for the kind of computational work that you do. But yeah, we, we have a lot to pass on, surprisingly. And the further we get in our careers, the more we're going to have to evaluate like, hey, who do I want to give these opportunities to? We're going to know more about how graduate school works, know more about how the physics community works, and we're going to have the opportunity to involve people in that and to reach out to people with that. And that capacity, I think, is just going to grow more and more. Yeah, but, well, let's actually get started. So this is actually a, yeah. an episode where we are going to talk about what I wish I knew when I started grad school. The so, big question. <laughs> it's a long list. Uh, I think in three years we acquired some level of knowledge and understanding that unfortunately like you some can only know after going through it. But maybe we can make the yeah. new students path a little bit less painful than ours uh, with the little bit knowledge yes. we acquired. That's the so, hope, right? Where do we get started, Meryl? Do you want to start by I think right now they have in their minds mainly class. So let's start talking about exactly. class-wise, what I wish I knew about the classes. Exactly. Yeah, because at the beginning of your graduate career, the classes are important. They're the things that probably take up the majority of your time. One thing that I definitely wish, and maybe I did hear this, but I just didn't take it in, <laughs> is the fact that classes don't have to be your number one priority. Like if you're at the point where you have the opportunity to meet with a professor to hear about their research or to possibly find out um, a toy project that you might work on to see what their group is like. And if that is gonna conflict with the time that you normally have to finish an assignment, you should probably maybe be okay with not finishing that assignment and taking advantage of that one-time opportunity to have a meaningful meeting with a faculty member or to go to some event or some training. So basically, I wish I had heard that, or I wish I had internalized that your classwork doesn't have to be perfect and that people won't look down on you for not having done all of your work perfectly. I don't know, what are you thinking? Yeah, like I think, Class-wise, I think the most important lesson that I took from the classes was exactly that 
especially in the beginning of grad school where the classes are extremely intense like it's just a huge volume of stuff it's a yeah. lot of homework a lot of assignments a lot of exams a lot of everything and i think when you come from college specifically and especially from from u.s colleges um in brazil things are a little bit different and i bet that like other countries mm -hmm. also educational system is a little bit different but yeah. from u.s colleges specifically i have the feeling that uh, people are too little used to failing like they are not so used yes. to fail like they are not used to have a bad grade in a homework or to especially the, the students that actually get to grad school when you get to grad school it usually means they already have a, a pretty successful college experience yeah, so we've you're kind not of selected out you're not used to like not finishing an assignment you're not used to not having perfect grades and then you get to mm -hmm. grad school and the classes are harder the volume of stuff is huge you are also yeah. in the middle of this yeah. and i think one really important lesson is to just know you're going to fail and i'm not in being, some way or another what i mean by that is it is okay if at any given time you get a bad grade it is okay mm -hmm you're not gonna nobody's going to actually fail in you in the classes because of that you're not going to be seen no. as less than like capable it's actually normal that you that you even have like to uh, drop some assignment or yep. that you have to ask for the professor for an extension actually one thing that i really wish our year knew was that we could request more extension for the homeworks because Absolutely. our year didn't took advantage of that, but then I saw the next years doing it all the time, and it was just as fine. And I was like, why didn't I do that? <laughs> exactly. Now, you bring up a good point, because the TAing duties that we're doing alongside our classes, um, for me, I kind of expected the same level of work in my homework that I had done in my undergrad when I was only working on classwork. I expected the same of myself in graduate school when I was doing classwork and teaching and trying to find a research group. And it's important to remember that your grades are also not your only metric of success. And in particular, they're not even really the most important metric of success in graduate school. They've got pretty limited, pretty limited value in terms of uh, how they tell you how well you're doing in graduate school or not. And our professors want to know if the way they're teaching the class is an issue. And they especially want to know if the students have conflicts with their schedules or whatever. And the professors, yeah, I wish I had known how willing the professors are to accommodate um, our schedules as graduate students with our, our various responsibilities. Yes, and I think that with that, you just start touching like another point that is really important that is talk to your professors. I know yeah. they can be sometimes intimidating. I know that sometimes they don't seem reachable, but especially at our physics department, our faculty are really, really available for the students. They are really yes. friendly. We are really lucky on that. I don't know how other places are but our department, the faculty are actually really friendly and really willing to spend time with the students, understanding yeah. their their needs and 
making sure that they succeed. They want you to succeed. I, yes. I know that sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but they want you to be successful in your academic path. And yeah, our professors also know, or the faculty members know, that it's part of their job to invest in graduate students and to invest in graduate student success. So they're going to be willing to set aside some time in their day to help you out either you know, with your classwork or to get you on a path into a research group. That's something that's really valuable for them. Um, and to a large extent, your success is also their success, especially if you find someone who's going to be your actual research advisor. Um, I, I was definitely the kind of person who had difficulty reaching out to faculty. That's just really not something I did in undergrad at all. I always felt like I had to figure out concepts on my own or maybe talking with my peers, but it always felt like I was wasting a professor's time if I reached out to them with questions. But that's really not the case. <laughs> like if there's something interesting that you run into in class that you want to understand better and you talk to your professor about that, chances are they're going to have a really great conversation with you because they're going to see what you're interested in. Like if you're struggling in the class, if the class is just too hard for you to follow, go to the Mm -hmm. professor and say that I feel I'm failing this class. I don't know how to do this. And usually like talking to you or looking at your exams or homeworks, they're able to really easily spot what's going wrong. And sometimes it's yes. something really, really silly. You can't know until you go there and talk yep. to them. Until you ask. STA, I also realized this, that like sometimes, and actually like STA, I also realized that like, I got so excited when my students reach out to talk to me about the actual content, oh, yeah. not just about, to complain about grades. Even when they just came and said, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on in this class. Can you please help me? I love it when this happened, not because they were struggling, but because then, like, I had the chance to actually, like, do something about it, you know? Yeah. And you got to have a real conversation with them. That's honestly something that I all very much valued as a TA, uh, having good conversations with my students. And it didn't even always have to be about the physics content. Like, often I'd start talking to students because they had an issue with the homework or something. But then I'd find out like what kinds of things they're really interested in or what kind of career paths they were looking at. And I could tell how much like the students want to talk about <laughs> what their education means to them and what their plans are. So it's, it's interesting being on the other side of that and realizing your, your professors want to hear what you're going through. Your professors want to hear what you want to do with your life and with your education. So it's totally worth reaching out to them. Yeah, I I wish I had kind of kicked myself in the butt in terms of just pick a time to talk to your professors. And those conversations will probably go better than you think. And you will have learned something about about either that class or about further things that are going to be useful for you in graduate school. Yeah, I want to finish this class part just with stressing one thing that we already mentioned that at some point, like the volume of stuff is so huge that at some point you have to make choices about what you're going to do and not to do. And this means literally like there's an assignment, I'm going to have to request this extension or I will actually have to drop 
and that it's okay that doesn't make you any less of a good student than any other student and usually like when you get to this point all your classmates are also at this point so yes <laughs> everybody's actually in the same boat yeah not completing an assignment is not the end of the world and it's not a sign that graduate school is not for you the only thing it's a sign of is that there was something else that was more important for you to do with your time um okay so what should we talk about next anything else about classes that you want to mention now yeah that's a good question yeah i guess just to remember that classes aren't everything uh the grades you get in your classes aren't your only metric of success so if you're doing well at teaching or if you enjoy teaching you should take pride in that and take that as as a measure of success um and your classes are only only one part of your experience they're not the center of it the way they were a little bit more in undergrad well i think classes have so little to do with research really it's a place where you're exposed to all these ways to solve problems it's, it's literally like a place where you acquire the tools they're going to tell mm -hmm. you hey this this problems we model them like this and we solve them like that so when you're in research and you see something that looks like any of that you know where to refer to again exactly yeah that the the purpose of classes is not to teach you exactly the kinds of things you're going to be doing in research the things you learn in classes aren't going to affect your day-to-day but they will give you the background that you need to think about things the way a physicist thinks about things. Because honestly, the purpose is not necessarily to memorize all of the different problem-solving techniques you're going to find in class. The purpose is to get familiar enough with them that if and when you do need them, you'll at least know where to turn. So it's absolutely not the point of memorizing. Or memorizing is not the point of taking classes. Uh, the, GR, the physics GRE unfortunately tells us. I won't say anything about the physics theory anymore. Uh, don't, um, don't even worry about it. Thinking now, I have a feeling that the part of classes that most looked like research to me was the part where we would all sit down at the fourth floor and discuss the problems. Those yes. moments look so much more like research to me, like the actual like research meetings and research conversations I have in my collaborations mm -hmm. than any other moment during classes. Yeah, then like writing up an assignment or listening to a lecture or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, you should use your classes as opportunities to find people who you work well with. Use your classes as a way to practice scientific communication, to practice conveying an idea and teaching each other. That's something that is much more valuable in terms of what classes can do for you. Yeah. that I think I only see in retrospect. <laughs> okay, so about the second thing that most take time during our first year mm -hmm. is TAing. Yeah. Can we talk about TAing? <laughs> I know, shoot. Because that's the thing. I, I love TAing because I love teaching. Um, and historically, I also put too much time into TAing <laughs> because saying. I'd be thinking about my students all the time. Or when I was grading, I would want to give people super detailed, useful feedback. <laughs> I don't know, but that TAing is again about being mindful about where your priorities are. And you definitely want to make sure that you're not putting so much time into teaching that you're burning yourself out or that you don't have enough bandwidth for your other responsibilities. So coming back to what you said about professors, they also want to know if your workload as 
a TA is reasonable or not. So definitely don't feel like if you're being overwhelmed with teaching that you just have to buckle down and do it by yourself. If you're feeling overwhelmed with teaching, talk to your professor or talk to your fellow TAs and you'll be able to get to a point where they can help you out so that the workload is something you can deal with. I don't know. It's funny that like, I never wanted to teach. I always had this dream <laughs> of doing my research in my lab and not having to ever teach. And no, then, you just want to do. Yes. And then I don't even want to like put it out there what I'm doing. Like, I don't want to communicate my science to others. I just want to do it. It's someone else's job. I, that's a dream. <laughs> but then I ended up mm -hmm. TAing for Volter and that changed my life. He has that effect on people. Yeah, he really inspired me to want to like be a good TA. And I think that combined with the fact that I was terrifying of teaching astronomy just because I never, I never taught before. And I didn't yeah. actually take a formal astronomy course in my undergrad. So I was yep. terrified. And then I put so much time and effort on it because I was one terrified and inspired by Walter that I guess I ended up doing it really well. <laughs> yeah. And that was like the foundation of your professional relationship with Walter, working on Astro at the same time. But one thing that it was great for me taking, and it's another step here, in our physics department, the faculty usually gives a lot of freedom to the TAs with their teaching style and their yes. classes, which is a great opportunity for you to actually have fun teaching because you get to be part of the class not just like passing along something that somebody told you to do you know oh yeah there's yeah there's a good balance of that because you'll have materials that were prepared by the professor but what you choose how you choose to present it and what you choose to talk about on a given day is entirely up to you so for me i would say it's an important balance of like two opportunities first off you get to experiment with how you think physics should be taught which is awesome and if you want to be an educator that's really, really valuable experience. But second, you should remember that you don't always have to reinvent the wheel. I know I, I feel like I spent a fair amount of time, particularly when I was actually an instructor, of like reinventing or reworking problems that I knew were already good, but I just wanted them, I don't know, to look slightly different <laughs> or to, to all be in the same LaTeX format that I liked. Uh, so don't, yeah, don't feel like you need to to reinvent the wheel with the way that you're teaching. Um, but teaching can be an opportunity to, to express yourself and to imagine what you wish you had been taught when you were a student, which I think is, is really valuable. Yeah. So I think like the two big lessons for TA would be don't spend too much time with it because that's not the idea. Yeah. But if you want to engage and be actually part of the planning of the class, like usually have like room for that. And that turns mm -hmm. out to be really fun and improve it a lot. My experience as TA, once I realized I could actually plan different ways I was going to expose the content or even like back when I was TAing Astro 101, Scott was the head TA and he was producing most yeah. of the material. And so many times I went to him and said, Scott, I think this would look better differently. Or I think if we could put a small like demonstration here, it would be better. And he was always so open for uh, suggestions and it was great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you want to help with content or to make content, the professors or head TAs will be all about that. <laughs> So that's, that's an opportunity you can go for if that's something that you feel like is valuable to you. 
Now, another thing that I think is really important SDA is to, this is kind of like a bit of my teaching style, but um, I think this is an overall really good recipe. Asking the student to give their thoughts on the problems helps you understand their background and what is lacking or not. So you know what you need to give and what you need to ask from them. Absolutely. Which is so important because, um, what do you think about it? Yeah, I, I definitely recognize that the best way to help students most efficiently is basically to ask, like, say they're having trouble with the problem, they wave you over, just say, talk me through what you're thinking. And if that's the way you're starting the conversation with them trying to express something and you just listening, like you said, you're going to find out where they're at, you're going to understand their background, and you're going to understand what kind of conceptual picture they've got. So if there's holes in it or issues with it, you know exactly what to fill in and what to address. It's not going to help you to walk up to someone who has their hand raised and feel like, oh, this is the problem they're probably going to have. Let me just spit out how to get to the end. And uh, then we get to what you don't do, SDA. <laughs> Your job is not to do anybody's homework. Absolutely. You're going to get that. People will ask you to solve their homework. Mm -hmm. This should be allowed no. Or if you're, if you're more of a subtle person like me, you can pivot to, yeah, tell me what you're thinking or talk me through how you worked on it. You can make it clear that you're not just going to give them the answers no the yeah time. sometimes for example i would get on the clinic like students saying hey i need help with my homework and i would ask okay what about your homework and they would say everything and then i knew didn't put any time trying to do anything because it's impossible that in a list of 10 questions you had no idea how to start any of them yeah that's that's honestly tricky and i know we also have us the two of us have a slightly different approach to when you have students who are like i don't even know and it's, it's again, up, up to like the TA. But yeah, we're not there to do the work for them. Absolutely not. You, you don't do their homework for them. That's not your job. You can yes. help them with punctual like parts of the homework or one of oh, your yeah. questions that they don't know how to get started. But usually when they show up saying, I don't know anything, that also means that they haven't been to classes and that they didn't yeah, they read need anything to go back about and it. Yeah, find out about the concepts. Yes, at that point, like, it's their work, like, you can't do anything for them, really. Or it's definitely not your job to just straight give them answers. That usually is not really helpful. Usually in the classes we teach, the answer doesn't matter so much as how to get to the answer. Exactly. So if you just give them the answer, you're not helping them at all because they still yeah, have you're no doing idea them how a disservice. to you, they have no idea how to get to the answer. And if they have no idea how to get to the answer, they won't be able to do it again later. They don't learn the yeah. concept and life doesn't work like that. It doesn't matter what their yeah. profession is. Usually when you ask questions, like the answer is just a small part of it. Usually the process to the answer is what matters most, especially in science. Absolutely. That's why if I had a student who would pop up to me in the physics clinic and they'd say, I don't even know where to begin. I would kick it off with starting a discussion of, okay, how do we even think about these problems? And sometimes it would come to light that they were just overwhelmed and they knew a bunch of things, but they just weren't able to pick any particular starting point. But once they had a starting point of, 
okay, this is the basic idea. This is why we use Newton's second law or something like that. Or this is how we can start thinking about writing down kinematic equations. That as long as they've got something to start with, they can maybe take it from there. Yeah, but that's not exactly the example I was given. Like, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Usually the students that show up to the clinic say, I have no idea how to do anything. A lot of times they would actually have no idea. They wouldn't even know yeah, what content was being covered. And at that point, yeah, they've got to go back to their notes or their syllabus or talk to a friend and find out what the course is about. Well, since you brought it up, that's another point of TAing. You will end up most likely also being a bit of a therapist. Sometimes, like, and a lot of times, students just get to you frustrated and overwhelmed. Yeah. And sometimes they will have problems that they are not aware is the problem. Yeah. You know, and uh, this is definitely not part of your job. You don't need to do this STA. But I don't know, like, sometimes talking to my students, I, I don't know, there were a couple of cases where the student actually had something going on and they actually needed extra accommodation in the class and they didn't realize yes. they needed that and by just talking to them and then later talking to Walter we managed to get them the, this extra accommodation that 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 is a good point so even though we're not therapists <laughs> we're not counselors we're, we're not qualified to help people with their problems we're going to be interfacing with so many students that we're going to be seeing I guess things that are going on in their academic life or sometimes even in their personal lives you know it, it depends that do require attention and for things like that like if you feel okay this student like you said needs an accommodation or they're describing like test anxiety that's something that happened to me a lot students would talk to me and they'd be basically describing in detail test anxiety. You do have the opportunity to tell students about resources that they've got access to, like extra test time, um, or even just recommending like, hey, you can talk to the people at the Barnes Center and go to the Counseling Center if you feel like stuff is overwhelmed. And absolutely, the professor is also a resource. If a student reaches out to you and they're really struggling, those conversations are good to have. And you don't need to be a licensed therapist to refer someone to a licensed therapist. Um, Again, this is not conversation with your part professor. of your job but make it's like, not yeah but it i feel it's something valuable you know that you can sometimes listen to your students enough to be able to just point them to the direction of help or whatever yeah. they are needing at the moment or even like once i had this student that was a great student and they they were having anxiety crisis during the exam they were trying to solve a problem that i knew they knew how to solve because they had solved it in front of me before in the class <laughs> and then i would lit i literally sat down next to them and said okay you saw this before and they were like no no i didn't i was like i am sure you did let let's walk over it and i just sat with them and said okay so what this problem is about and I helped them just like realize they knew how to solve it. I didn't give them an answer. I didn't like, I didn't answer anything. I just asked them what is about, how you solve this kind of problem. There you go. And that can be enough to get them to do the work. When they are in the middle of like a anxiety crisis. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Often teaching is about reminding your student how much they know and what they are capable of. I know. And that's, that's true of ourselves as well as graduate students. <laughs> I am so much yeah, better with others like... than with myself. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I can't be my own. I can't give myself a pep talk. <laughs> but at the same time, it is worth it to be patient with yourself. And if there is some problem you're working on and you feel overwhelmed or like you're not equipped to do it, you should remember that you've put in the time and you've got more skills than you're aware of. That, I think, is a pretty general rule.
And sometimes you just need to sit down and ask, okay, what is this problem actually? And articulating the problem can oftentimes be the hard part. Also about PAing, try to remind yourself that when your students are trying to solve a problem, there's a fine line between like <laughs> what they should know and what you think they should know. Because remember, like mm. you're a physicist, you've been thinking about physics yes. problems for <laughs> like at least four years when you get to grad school. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you look at a problem, you're like, huh, this is obvious. Well, this might not be obvious for a brain of someone that you still have four years to go before getting to you, exactly. if they do physics. But also like, there's definitely like a lack of basic education too. And that's why I said there is a fine line, you know. Because that is a problem, yeah. For example, I. I can see that students sometimes will lack some math when they get to like astronomy courses, for example. I think it's a huge educational problem that a lot of students will come and they will not know how to use the four basic operations. Yeah, or they'll they'll have trouble with, with algebra or with interpreting numerical results. And at that point, I don't think it's their fault. I think it's bigger than them. But... Their education has failed them. I know. So yeah, it's it's also important to remember that it's not your job as a TA to fill in all of the holes in their education, because sometimes you're just not in a position to do that. Um, that's another thing that I think is good to bring up with your professor. If you feel like a student is unprepared for the class that they're in, oftentimes they can make it work. And there are, and I've even referred some students to resources on doing algebra that's like geared towards physics or doing trig that's geared towards physics so that they can hopefully catch up. Because um, for the most part, students are able to. It's more difficult to be learning algebra and trig while you're learning physics, but a lot of students are, are capable of doing that. Uh, what I actually found out about that, like I usually would be more, when I would have time to work with one student at a time, usually mm -hmm. this wasn't the clinic, usually on those stations where they show up saying, hey, I need to do my homework, I have no idea where to get started. Sometimes I would manage to, okay, so what are your thoughts on the questions Did you? And they would actually, in the frustration cases, I usually would realize it and be able to guide them. There were second group of students that were just like, didn't put time on it. So I would say, hey, you need to read the book first, or you need to go over the concepts first. Um, but there was a third group that happened a few times too, that would be like, they had such a huge lack on their education basics that they weren't actually being able to follow up the class those students mm -hmm. i usually like send to patty or in this case now is juliet and she's able to point them to private tutors that can fill that hole yeah juliet is a great resource or for helping undergraduates get the things that they need but i think that that's all about TAing. is there anything else you want to say about TAing? Um, yeah, just a couple things that it, it can happen in TAing that your students will ask you a question that you legitimately don't know the answer to. And it's okay for you as a TA to say, I don't know, I'll look it up and I'll get back to you. <laughs> Especially because I would say that that inspires more respect in your students than pretending like you know and giving them a crappy answer <laughs> or giving them some kind of evasive answer or just saying, oh yeah, I know that the answer is this because I'm a graduate student. So it's okay to not know the answer to every question. I agree. Yeah. Like I, I think that that's yeah. totally the way to go about it. But there are some demographics that saying, I don't know, in this kind of position may 
have a response from not all but some students that is not great but it's still the, yeah, the right way to go by like if you don't know the answer it's absolutely fine to say i don't know i'll get back to you about it it is possible if you are an international student or female or some other minority that not all students but some students will react poorly to it and actually say things such as like it's your job to know or it's your job to give me the answer or anything like that i've been through this yeah. a few times um don't let them push you like they shouldn't be doing this to you you should definitely tell your professor that this happened with that student class so they are aware that yes. is going on but don't feel bad if they react like that because it's not on you it's on them yeah there is definitely an aspect of privilege to being able to admit that you need to get back to them and the extent to which a student will accept that so yeah the important thing is to do your best and to be honest with your students like you said if there are issues with that that's something that you can bring up with your professor i know it's also easy if you get negative evaluations from a small number of students for that to feel like the only feedback you're getting. So you should just remember that the few students who are putting up a stink because of whatever issue, whatever personal issues they have, whatever personal biases they have, they're not reflective of your worth as a graduate student. Or as but a that teacher. Is, that is a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, like if any students being overly difficult for any reason really sometimes it's just because they are frustrated with their stuff or sometimes oh, yeah. it's they are actually having some attitude because they are not used to hear someone with an accent speaking english mm -hmm. you should in all cases tell your professor about it because dealing with overly difficult students is not part of your job nope. absolutely and professors are, are happy to give you help with that they've got the bandwidth to support you and they are super aware of all these problems. The professor is yeah. frequently more able to, after it happened, identify what case that thing is than you are. If it's just like Absolutely. the student dealing with their own frustrations or if they are being racist, the professor knows better, usually. They're a source of experience that you can rely on. Research. What do... I, I am kind of spoiled on oh the research side, uh, so I'm going to let Meryl do most of the chatting about this because... I came into the physics department knowing what group I was going to join, so I didn't have to look for a research group. But Meryl, tell me, how was your experience <laughs> looking for a research group? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure how typical or representative my experience is, but just be aware that maybe your, maybe your search for a research group will be like mine. I went into graduate school, like when I was applying to SU, there were a lot of things I was interested in. There were multiple programs that I felt SU did a good job at, and I wasn't sure which one of them I wanted to join up with. I came into the PhD program basically fresh out of my bachelor's. I didn't have a master's, so I didn't do master's level research. I had done a little bit of undergraduate research, but I was just interested in too many things to know exactly what to jump into. So my first year I was doing classes and looking at, okay, what kinds of things do I want to work with? A lot of my initial direction for research came from the professors that I felt were willing to spend more time with me or professors who spoke to me more about my classes. So for that reason, yeah, in the first year of taking classes, I decided that I wanted to learn more about field theory. So I decided to substitute quantum two for a field theory class because, yeah, our professor, Simon, felt like that would be a good match for me. So I started going on the track of learning more about field theory. That turned into doing 
an independent study with Simon for that first summer, learning a little bit more about field theory. So at that point, I felt like I was kind of all in, like, cool, things are going well with field theory. Um, I'm spending a lot of time with Simon. So I kind of went all in to that one aspect and started going to the journal club meetings. Those, those are also very good. <laughs> if there's a group that you're interested in, see if you can get into their group meetings and see if you can get into their journal club. That's just a good way to get to know people and to get to know the field better. But I guess, long story short, I had invested a lot of time in getting into high energy particle physics, but when it came down to it, when we got the annual budget, and try to figure out how much money we had to take on new students, I wasn't able to make the cut. I was competing against students who were further along in their graduate program than I was for funding. And even though I had invested a lot of time in getting into this group, I still hadn't quite felt like I was in and there wasn't funding to have me on. So at that point, I had to pretty much completely reevaluate from scratch. Who do I have relationships with? What professors can I talk to? What research is going to be a possibility for me? So I was in kind of a mad scramble for a few months where I was just reaching out to as many professors as possible, trying to talk about, okay, do you have openings? What kinds of toy projects could I start off with for me to get a taste of what working in your group is like? And at that time, I was able to get some time with Lisa Manning, who runs the Soft Matter program, to talk about, okay, who is who in Soft Matter, which was one of the broad regions of study that I was interested in. At that time, she told me about a new faculty member who wasn't even on my radar, Allison Pattison, who was getting her lab started up. And I realized after going to a few talks that she gave about her research that that was something that I could get behind and that I could be interested in. She did experimental soft matter physics, which was kind of like the polar opposite of the high energy theory that I was originally interested in. But it was important for me at that point to be as open as possible to anything. I guess for me, I needed to be flexible in where I can imagine myself. There was a long time I felt like, oh, I can't do stuff with experiment. That's not my style. But graduate school, to a large extent, is the place where you figure out what your style is. And it's the, probably the last opportunity when you have so many doors open to you for different paths in physics that you could take. So absolutely be open to things that you might not have even considered because maybe you'll do them and you'll like them quite a bit. Like I actually found doing soft matter experiment to be a lot more fulfilling than I thought it would be. Um, I'm still learning a lot. For me, it's been a bit of a... great. Yeah, experiments are great. For me, it's been a bit of a culture shock doing things that are more biological, but I'm, I'm catching up as much as I can. And being able to run, design your own experiments, collect your own data, test your own hypotheses is really, really exciting. Um, I love that In a way that I overlook. I know, yeah. I would say I'm a passionate experimentalist, so I really <laughs> like the experimental side of science way more than the modeling. Uh, I, like, I like to model experiments, I like to plan how they're going to go, how I'm going to collect the data, I like to do the data analysis. I have problems <laughs> with the theory part of it. It's not that I don't like it, yeah. I just am awful at it. <laughs> And perhaps it doesn't spark as much joy as running a good experiment. The simulations so, and, are but, fun too, though. Like the this simulations are great. It's just the actual, like, directly heavy part. Actually, like, sit down and do all this math. I don't. I don't think I have the skills for that. It's not your cup of tea. Oh, jeez. 
And that's the interesting thing. As an experimentalist, it's more or less up to you how deeply you want to get in theory of what you're studying. Running experiments is actually a really great intersection of the practice of science as well as the ideas behind science. Because you're not going to be able to run an experiment if you don't understand what physically is going on. And that was also something that I wasn't as aware of going into graduate school. And that's because undergraduate studies in physics are mostly theoretical. Like when you get a degree in physics, you get a degree in theoretical physics. <laughs> so you, you know, get an idea how miserable was doing your academic life. I know, I'm true. so sorry. I started Johanna. doing research in my second year of undergrad. So this is true. that was you, you exactly got into it early. why I got into it early. Because I was like, if I don't actually do some research, I'm going to drop out of school on my second year of undergrad. Yeah. And I joined None the group. And happy endings. <laughs> Exactly. It works out. So yeah, so for me, finding a research group was about really setting time aside to talk to faculty. Um, and honestly, in those meetings, the feedback I normally got was, I'm really glad that you're being proactive <laughs> about finding a research group. Because the faculty members, they want you to find a home. They're invested in your success. If you're enrolled in their graduate program and you're just floating around, not sure what to do, with yourself, that reflects poorly on them. Because as a graduate student, this is your first time being a graduate student. Faculty members know what the life cycle of a graduate student is like. And it is part of their job to help you succeed. So yeah, just yeah, remember that they want to talk to you. <laughs> I think one thing that might be another, again, I'm, I'm actually bringing a third person experience here because it wasn't yeah, yeah. mine. That's okay. Um, I was living with Liz during my first year. And I remember that she used to go to three or four different like group meetings, mm -hmm. getting into like research group meetings, even just ask the faculty, I don't want to do a project. I'm looking for what field interests me. Can I join your yeah. group meetings just to watch and know what it is about? Um, that's a great way to one, to understand if you want to do that kind of research, to also get a feeling on how the group works. Because... Yes. One thing that I learned the hard way during my previous academic experiences is that the research you're going to do matters even less than with whom you're going to do it with. Yeah. If you don't yeah, get along too. with the faculty or with your peers in the group or uh, with the group dynamics itself, as sometimes it's not even about the person, it's just about how the group works. If you don't go well with that, your life's going to be miserable for nothing. I know. So yeah, see if you can get invited to group meetings. And in group meetings, that's a good place to see the dynamics of the group at work. So you know, A, what they're talking about, but B, the way they do their work. I guess one thing that's important, because while I was looking at different groups, I was feeling like really critical as well of all of them. Like the, the issues would stand out to me in pretty big letters. And to a large extent, I felt like I wouldn't really fit in anywhere because I'm like, oh, I don't know this stuff yet. Uh, like, how can I, this research, if I'm not familiar with it? So it's important as you're gauging, am I going to work in this group? Give yourself time to fit in, to see what's happening, and to actually get a feel of what this study is about. That can take a long time. That can take weeks. That can take months before you really know, okay, this is what this group 
studies. This is what they do. And this is how I could imagine myself fitting into it. So that's why we've got a fairly flexible timeline for when you're actually going to start your research. I wasn't officially in Allison's group until pretty much the summer after I had finished my second year. Um, and that's not going to be the case for everyone, but that was the case for me. Some people could end up starting later. Some people like Ohana uh, can go in knowing what they're working on and essentially get started as soon as they have time in addition to their classes and TA duties. I feel less yeah. strategy is the ultimate strategy for finding a research group. Just like <laughs> go to a bunch of like group meetings for a while and see what you like. Once you decide, even a couple, maybe take independent studies or projects with the faculty yes. and then choose one. Other good resources to do if faculty members are giving uh, talks or colloquia, listen to how they talk about science. That's great. That was probably when I first imagined like, hey, I could work for this person was after hearing Allison give a colloquium on her research where I got time to internalize and like really ask questions. Yeah, at the end of that colloquium, I realized there's a bunch of things about this that I would enjoy working on. There's a bunch of questions that I would be interested in pursuing. And that was probably the biggest thing that cemented, okay, I'm actually going to go for working in this group. So as you're looking for a research group, talk to graduate students. Talk to as many graduate students as you can about what it's like to work in that group because they're going to have like Ohana knows more about working with neutrinos than anyone else that you're probably going to talk to. So reach out to us. We do want to talk about our research. Every time somebody asks me about neutrinos, I get so happy. <laughs> I could talk about neutrinos all day long. That's awesome. But nobody ever asked me yes, exactly because they students. do know that I can talk about it all day long. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah, I've read um, your master's thesis. That's true. Oh my gosh, that master thesis wasn't the best thing I've ever done. Anyway. But I, I loved the history of, of neutrinos that you worked into it. <laughs> I think we can now move to our first last two topics. Yeah, work-life no, balance. I would say that you are a machine, right? A machine that needs to eat, to move, to sleep, and to socialize. If any yes. of these four things are not there, you are going to stop working some way eventually. Something's going to give. So it's really not worthy to neglect your health and your personal life. It catches up to you if you don't take care of your health and your personal life. It really in does. In an awful way. I had that experience. I ended up having to reach for help and do therapy and go over a longish therapy treatment in the counseling center for almost three years mm -hmm. because of problems that were created for how poorly I dealt with my life during my first year. And just feeling like that all these problems ended up going into a box, like, I'll work on that later, I'll work on that later. That was also my issue first year. And I've also, hey, I probably need some professional counseling. <laughs> to Everybody needs to professional have... counseling, just to be clear. Like, I know. We are not here saying professional counseling is some resource to get you when things go wrong. Like I would say that it's better if you have it way before anything yes. goes wrong. Just, just have it. We have like the counseling center. Talk to counselors before things go wrong. Just go, because sometimes you don't, there are problems there. You don't even know it's a problem, but your therapist will. So exactly. just, just get therapy, guys. Like, so now we're totally worth it. Definitely worth it. Because at this point, 
counseling is the time during the week that I have set aside to work on myself personally. Because if you're not putting that time aside, it's not going to happen. So like Ohana was talking about, yeah, we've, we're people, we have personal needs, and those personal needs are, are big and small. Big in the sense of, hey, I need to deal with understanding my life. Like, where am I at? Graduate school is a crossroads. Graduate school is like a door to many various possibilities. And it can feel overwhelming being in the middle of it, feeling like you have a bunch of decisions and things that hinge on those decisions, or even questioning, should I even be here at all? All of those things are normal. And all of those things are things that all graduate students are going to experience and going to think about deeply. So be okay with getting help with that <laughs> and be okay with taking care of the small things. Like eat, please eat, please feed yeah, yourself, like, please sleep. <laughs> I, I had a like even more drastic experience with the eat part specifically than Mero. I ended up triggering a several years sleeping eating disorder during my first year. I actually wouldn't even realize I wasn't eating. I was just so yeah. all the time. I would just postpone eating. And that ended up awfully for me. Because actually, I didn't realize back then, and I learned this with my therapy and with my treatment, um, not eating was literally physically damaging my brain. And I wasn't taking full advantage of my intellectual capacity because I wasn't fed. <laughs> and that's a problem. So yeah, as people, we need all these different inputs. We need our physical needs met. We need our social needs met. Like we need to talk to other people. We need to feel validated and valuable. And it's only with these things that we can have the energy that we need to produce the output that a graduate student outputs, <laughs> to make the research, to, to write the papers. So if you're having to yeah, like... It's all connected. Not sleep, not eat, not exercise for a long time sometimes like it happens that you sleep one night poorly or you won't work out one day or you will eat poorly one day but if it is a pattern if this happens more often than not you have to push away some work and it doesn't matter where you're going to what you're going to push away if it's going to be some of your ta work reach your professor say hey i can do this like, I know I have to grade this. I am late, but I just can't. Can somebody else pick it up? Or in the classes side, well, I can't, like, finish this assignment this week. Can I have the extension? Or if you get stressed, just drop it. Just don't do it. But don't let this become a thing because it's not worth it. Like, your, your mind, your brain, it takes so much more effort to fix it after it's broken for keeping this kind of lifestyle for long. It's just not worth it, guys. Absolutely. A thing that I want to bring up is that you probably will be working long hours in the department. Don't neglect the worst of a walk to Kubal and then coming back to work. Actually, there is some, some theory about this in the psychology side that is called attention restoration theory, where if you actually go out of the environment you are and go to a place where you get to see people or see happy things happening around you or beautiful things, things that will relax you a bit, a little bit and take your mind out of that stressful work environment. Uh, even if it's just for a little bit, that can like bring your attention back to what was before. There are some papers about it, so you can look up. It's just like attention restoration theory. To make sure that you've got the bandwidth that you need. <laughs> I think this takes us to the last piece of this episode that is our 
cultural soup. Yes. <laughs> Want to get started with that, Meryl? Yeah. So it's just important to be aware that when you're starting in graduate school, you're going to be working with people, with your peers, with faculty members, and with students who are from backgrounds that are not your own. <laughs> They're going to have different ways to, to study. They'll have different ways to communicate. They'll have different ways to spend their time. And it can be overwhelming to be working in an environment where there's lots of different expectations and lots of different cultures. But it's important to remember that the expectations that you have are not the only way that people can succeed as a graduate student. And it's absolutely worth it to get to know people, to think about, okay, how is it that they approach their work? Where are they coming from? And what kinds of experiences do these people have that I'm working with that maybe I don't have that I need to understand more about? There's lots of different ways to be a graduate student. <laughs> yeah, well, I think one of the things when you face like different cultures than your own is that people think differently, people eat differently, people have different working routines or even needs. Yeah. And this is all fine. It's a actually great opportunity for you to to get to know how people live outside your bubble, outside your comfort zone. Exactly. Um, and with that in mind, it's more likely than not that they will have small conflicts about it because yes. people are not used to how other people go by everything about their lives. And there are things that you're going to see and here, they're going to be weird to you. Just try to have an open mind about it. And sometimes I do this small exercise that I think is really worth it. That is, um, try to think where, from where I am having that feeling or that perception of something else. Sometimes I will see something and think it's weird or that that will cause some feeling on me right like it's going to like make me feel it'll rub you the wrong way <laughs> and it's a great exercise to ask yourself where is this feeling coming from because sometimes you are going to realize that your feeling is coming from something that happened that was actually not okay sometimes it's going to come from like oh but it's okay it's just like a cultural thing it doesn't really matter and it's actually good that you're seeing it from another side. Absolutely. that Because that exercise of asking yourself, why do I feel the way I feel about this, is probably the best tool that you've got to identify your own biases, which we all have. Because we were all raised in different ways. We all have different experiences. And those experiences cause us to be biased in one way or another. But if you're always asking yourself, is this okay? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Is this other person's behavior appropriate or not, is this other person's behavior normal? And asking why you feel that way can help you realize like, wait a minute, maybe the definition of normal is just a little bit broader than what I'm used to. Yeah, Does but like just, just be open to the idea that people will do, for example, like people will have different work schedules from you or people will learn differently mm -hmm. from you. And that's fine. Doesn't mean they are, I don't know, lazy. Doesn't mean they are not putting the work it just means that the way they learn or the way they work or the schedule they work is different from yours and that's fine exactly everyone in the graduate program has done a ton of work to get to that point and has proven their competence in many many ways so remember that and give give people the benefit of the doubt i know it's it's also tricky to remember that oftentimes with your students they 
that might be the first time in their lives that they're learning from someone who has a different cultural background than them. So you need to be able to recognize in your students, like help your students insofar as you can expand their definition of how they can be taught, of how they can learn so that they can learn from each other and so that they can make the most of an experience with a TA that maybe from the beginning, they didn't know if it was going to work with them. But there's always an opportunity if the student's willing to take it, if both sides are willing to take it, that you can learn from each other when you've got people from different cultural backgrounds. Well, I will say now something more delicate, but maybe keep in mind, especially if you are, it can happen if it's not, but especially if you're a native English speaker, that People with accent um, are just as smart as you. Usually if they have an accent, it means that they speak their language and your language, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is like two languages at least. <laughs> they have almost like double the vocabulary. Um, Surprise. So yes, like if you're like a native English speaker or even if you just have a hard time like understanding your student's accent, just keep in mind that this is a communication problem between two points So maybe with your student, like, try to ask them to communicate through other ways. Ask them to draw something, to write something, to put something on paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, finding the methods of communication that work the best. And, yeah, honestly, physics and teaching physics is about that, about finding the best means of communication for a specific problem. So building those skills is always useful. And building the ability to understand where someone's coming from, someone whose ideas are different than your own, is hugely valuable. Building this big scientific discourse that we're all trying to be a part of. And that depends on us acknowledging, okay, as students, as scientists, we've done a lot of work to get to where we are. And we're all worthy of giving ideas to each other and listening to each other. Do your best to imagine people other than yourself Imagine people complexly. Imagine people at the level of, level of depth that you know you have personally. Everyone's got their own ideas, the things that they can bring to the table. Everyone's got their own perspectives. And everybody gets, get, yeah. have their own biases. So exactly. be willing to like... To work around those and to work with those. Be willing to recognize your own and try to make up for them. Yeah. We all have them, just like making sure this may be, I don't know, sometimes even the first time you're hearing somebody say this like this, but we all grew up in different levels of racism and sexism and other isms. <laughs> um, we all grow up in cultures that are at some extension messed up. None of us grew up in a perfect culture because there's no such no. thing. Be willing to recognize that growing up in racism and patriarchy can make you normalize things that are not normal. So sometimes yeah. if you take a step back and think, what, where are my biases here? You're able to address and recognize that and fix it. And this exercise is worth for life. Absolutely. And I think that's it. Anything else that you want you say no you're awesome ohana and thank you for anyone who's listening to this for listening to all of it hopefully you can find something from this that's useful for you you can do the thing we believe in you you got this guys Go for it. Um, yeah. yeah, grad school, it's uh, in a conversation with my advisor today, he said like, grad school is a marathon, like Vito brought up in the last episode of the podcast. So 
I know this is a lot of, we said a lot of things, but try to have fun, try to make it easier, try to make it lighter, because you can just print through it like it's it's you have to find a balanced life and routine that you can maintain for five six years so um try to have fun in the way grad school is it's actually cool eventually this pandemic will be over we'll have a bunch of parties <laughs> and like things like that and figo is doing a great job at making all these cool events so go to the events talk to people get to know different cultures yes Having a bunch of like people with different cultures is not just about like the bias stress, but it's also about like having fun with people that are different and learning from them, like learning from people different from you. Oh my gosh, like I can't like say how many amazing things I've learned in this past three years with people that I would I never imagine, you know, that I would. Yeah. You've got the opportunity to meet people and to spend time with people you'd never otherwise meet with. So make the most of it. Walk outside the physics building and go meet people in other majors and other departments. Oh, we didn't say that. We should say that. I know. I'll um, throw that out there. You should totally you try it. to create a support system outside physics department. You're going yes. to work a lot with your peers as it's... It's, you're supposed to like just to be clear class work and TA work is a lot of work it's unlikely you're going to get through all of it alone working together in problems homeworks assignments usually the best way to go about it yes. uh, but sometimes you get sick of seeing those folks or you're going to have like I did a bunch of times some small conflict because I have a really really strong personality uh, and you will need to like go away from that a little bit. So have a support system outside physics department. That's really, really important. Get some breathing room away from physics <laughs> so that you can be a regular person as well as a physicist. Not saying that you can't be friends with your peers. That's not what I'm saying at all. Like some of my oh, best absolutely. friends are in this physics department or physicists. Like Meryl here. <laughs> Thanks, Ohana. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, and get, get to know your peers. Find the people who you work best with. Find the people who you find yourself wanting to talk to or hanging out with. Um, and find people who think about physics differently than you. You can have lots of really great conversations and you can get good work done together. I, it's funny, right? Because me and you, like, we work together in physics, in, in the classwork, in TA, uh, and as friends in our yeah. deep philosophical kind of conversations. And we <laughs> are so different. Like, Mary and I, like, oh, yes. we are so different. Who, somebody <laughs> that knows Meryl and then knows me, like, will never say we are so close friends. But we are, and we work amazingly well together in all of those things. So, <laughs> um, we work together by choice. On <laughs> things like this podcast. Yay. Okay. Well, Meryl, thank you so much for this. This was amazing. And thank you for this. Bye. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you.